Our gospel reading today comes from the ninth chapter of the book of Mark, verses 30 through 37. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. He did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he was saying, and they were afraid to ask him. Then they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent, for on the way they had, been, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them, and taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So the preaching series this month focuses on joyful experiments in just peace. And last week, Pastor Heather preached a sermon introducing the nonviolent communication as it relates to just peace. In this sermon, I will use the NVC process to explore scripture reading of Mark 9, 30 through 37. If God is still speaking through scripture, then this dialogue or conversation we have with scripture is important. Can we have a nonviolent conversation with scripture? Can we have a nonviolent conversation with God? Sometimes the baggage of religion makes us weary. When we are weary and tired, we have a hard time hearing and receiving. So I suggest that we set down the baggage, rest, and try another approach to scripture, a nonviolent approach. So how would we do that? According to Marshall Rosenberg, the author of Nonviolent Communication, a conversation that arrives at a mutual desire to give from the heart will focus on four areas. First, we observe what is actually happening in a situation. What do we observe others saying or doing? And can we do that without judgment or evaluation? Example, she was playing the trumpet, non-judging observation. Or she was blaring away on that thing, which is a judging observation. Well, next we notice how we feel about what we've observed. Were we scared, amused, irritated? Example, I was napping when I heard you practice your trumpet, and it startled me. Initially, I was scared and then irritated that I woke up. So number three is the need. What are the needs connected to the feelings that we have? Example, since I've been working late, I need more quiet to sleep. Then there's the fourth, and that's the request. The fourth component of the process is to clearly state a request. This is something that would enrich our lives or make life better for us. Example, could you practice somewhere else like the garage with the door closed? <laughs> and you have to be ready to hear no. And then that's when the negotiation begins. 
Yes, it sounds awkward and cumbersome, and it certainly takes effort and intention to communicate that way. And none of us will ever get perfect at it. In fact, most of the time, the aggressive stuff comes first. Who is making all that noise? What noise? The noise that sounds like an elephant dying. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Mom. I was just practicing my trumpet like you wanted me to. Even if we start out that way, the goal is to end up in a more nonviolent place. Now let's look at the scripture. We observe that Jesus and the disciples are traveling away from Caesarea Philippi to Galilee. Mark's gospel emphasizes the teaching moments that Jesus spends with the disciples. Chapters 8 and 9, it seems that Jesus is preparing them for the, his ultimate suffering and death. He explains it to the 12 numbers of times with differing results. And this time when he says, the Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him, and three days later, after being killed, he will rise again. This time, the disciples are silent. When they come to Capernaum, apparently they've been arguing, because that's what it says in the text, and Jesus asks what they're arguing about, because Jesus observed the behavior. Again, they're silent. The text tells us they were arguing about who was the greatest. And then Jesus takes a child and responds to them in an unusual way. What did Jesus sense about those feelings and needs of the disciples that he would respond in this way? Well, we can imagine a lot of feelings of the disciples from our own experiences. And then after understanding some of the historical context, the feelings seem logical. They were angry that Jesus' leadership wasn't what they thought it would be. Is he going to let himself be killed? What kind of Messiah is that? They were feeling uncertain. How does he know he will rise again? Is he God? They were feeling unsafe. Here I have given up my livelihood as a tax collector to follow him to glory, and now he will abandon us and leave us at the mercy of the authorities? They were feeling distress. Who will lead us if Jesus is gone? Peter? He can't lead. He's too impulsive. They were feeling afraid. If I question him again about his plan, he will think I have no faith in him or God. And they were feeling sad. Without Jesus, we are nothing. We'll fall apart. The kingdom of God will never come if it depends on us alone. But they did not acknowledge their feelings to Jesus. Instead, they started in on each other, arguing. I wonder how it began. If Jesus is leaving, we will need another leader, and it will most likely fall to me, says John, because I'm the beloved disciple, and if God is love, then that is the most important quality. You, spouts James, his brother, you'd be so busy taking care of everybody, we'd never get out of Galilee. I'd be a better leader than you. Remember, I was one of those disciples that Jesus took up on the Mount of Transfiguration. It could be any three of us, you, me, or Peter. And Judas sneers, yes, let James be the leader. Look, we can't even cast out demons on our own. What a debacle that last encounter was. 
This is a human war. Let the saints take care of the demons. We need to prepare ourselves for a holy war when Jesus is gone. And if none of us survive, at least the movement of the kingdom of God will be immortalized in our deaths. Simon Peter straightens his shoulders, standing taller within the rest. I won't hear this kind of talk, my brothers. This is nonsense. God would not have sent us Jesus if he was not the greatest Messiah. And to follow in his footsteps, we must be the greatest. We must persevere. And we will be conquerors. We must not let Jesus down. And Matthew says, so you think you can be the leader of the movement, huh? Peter says, why not? The rest all shake their head, grumbling. I can see this group shuffling in a little herd behind Jesus. Their collective dust settling on the eyelashes of their downturned heads. Oblivious that Jesus could hear. Of course Jesus could hear. Jesus hears everything. Interesting that Jesus does not turn to berate them. He waits. Maybe he was going through that for MBC process in his head. He was observing that they're arguing. And his, he was feeling frustrated. I'm frustrated with them. Why can't they trust me? I've been working with them for three years. They're acting like spoiled children arguing about greatness. I could show them a child and say, act your age, not your sandal size. No, well, no, that would be too violent. So what are my needs? I need understanding. I'm not long for this world. There's not much time left to get this message across. I need reassurance that they will be okay. So how will I do my request? What can I request from them? That they accept me? That they accept and welcome me into their lives, questions and all. So at the house in Galilee, he confronts them about their arguing, and they do not reply. They feel shame that he even noticed. And without judging their painful feelings, he responds with compassion. He responds in a nonviolent way. Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. And he takes a child. And we know that children then and now are the most vulnerable. They need protection and nurture and care. They need to be encouraged in their self-worth, achievements celebrated, respected as individuals loved by God. They need limits and safety. It is the wounds in our childhood that shape our strategies to get what we need. Into Jesus' arms, he takes a child. And then he says, whoever welcomes a child in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. The least of these, the lowest, the most vulnerable, a child. Even the wounded inner child is taken into Jesus' arms. If Jesus can accept that part of us, the part that is forgotten, isn't enough, invisible, mistaken, alone, different, exposed, defenseless, unprotected, disbelieving and fearful. Jesus takes that part of us and embraces us and says, if I can welcome that part of you, you can welcome that part of you. And when you welcome that part of you in my name, you welcome God. 
Because God is found in those small and vulnerable, broken places of our soul. Embrace that, and you will embrace God. And if we cannot embrace the broken places of our own lives, how will we ever embrace the broken places of the world? Jesus prepares them to face the ultimate betrayal, to have their Lord ripped from them in a brutal, violent way, neglected, abused, denied, abandoned. Every suffering of humanity is placed on him. God did not retaliate in violence. Instead, when the violence was fully absorbed, every wound exposed and surrounded by darkness for three days, then and only then did the Lord rise to new life, The reader of the gospel can identify with the disciples. We live in a world that daily berates one another online or on television, at the grocery store, as we drive in traffic. The corporate world says, needs don't matter. It's all about the bottom line. Sports says it's all about who gets the big win in the end, not how incredibly we played the game. Man up, buddy. Put your big girl pants on, woman. Grow up. No one gets what they want. Who made you queen for the day? Special rights, women, gays, blacks, poor, young, old, snowflake. Insert your favorite issue here. Get in line with the rest of us. Who made you special? You don't count. Life is hard and then you die. And if there is a God, then why this? We long for peaceful healing of ourselves in the world. Something like the kingdom of God to be realized. When what we experience belies what we secretly hope for, we doubt if peace is even possible, let alone just peace. Scripture says it's possible. It even spells out the promise. And some of us have given up on those promises because they're hard to believe. What we end up believing is that our needs seem unimportant in comparison to the needs of the world. The needs of the world are overwhelming. We can't do this, at least not by ourselves. Who am I to ask for help? Who am I to want to be loved? Who am I to face the pain and the suffering of the world? You, says Jesus, are my beloved disciple. As he holds the soft child of our soul in his arms, you are the beloved child of God. If you cannot ask for what you need, neither will it be provided. You only need ask. Am I valued? Am I loved? Am I safe? Am I forgiven? Am I free? Then and only then will we welcome God into our lives. From that place, we are resurrected to be the body of Christ in the world. Only when we have embraced this wounded inside of us will the peace that surpasses understanding be available to us. This is discipleship work. This is life work. I believe it takes a church or something like it to get through it. It's the whole purpose of doing this thing we do on Sundays, the meetings we hold to bring it all together, 
It takes the word read and preached and sung. It takes a spiritual practice like prayer to get us to shut up enough to listen. It takes contemplation to get us into a space to realize that peace is possible. It takes brothers and sisters in Christ to call us on our failures, to open us to the grace of God and accept us with all our flaws. It takes this community to live and grow in honesty to the reality of a violent world that aches for peace. Not just any peace, just peace, where all needs are met. And the strategies to meet those needs are aligned. And it is us and the Spirit of God that will make that bridge from here to there. Just peace. Peace with justice. So church, is there grumbling? Grumbling indicates that our needs are not being met. Well, let's observe. Is there grumbling about women ministers and gluten-free bread and divorce and leadership and visitation and music and money? <laughs> what are you feeling? Impatient? Concerned? Confused? Now let's look at our needs. Interdependence? Acceptance? Harmony? What isn't being met? Then request with grace what it is we need. And we will agree on a strategy if we can just talk about it. If we can have nonviolent conversation. Because this place is too important to be stuck on wrong strategies. God is calling us to set the table for all who hunger and thirst. So we have to be fed. And we have to be quenched so we can get on with it. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so.